You are listening in on LEAP. Today's episode features LEAP Forward's Director of Mental Health, Licensed Clinical Social Worker Hannah Newman, and Director of Occupational Therapy, Occupational Therapist Micaiah Johnson. Today, we're leaning into the topic of emotional processing in the beginning of our series on meltdowns and aggression. I think meltdowns and aggressions is something that you and I naturally kind of like lean into, mm-hmm. if you will. I mean, everyone in this building, you know, works with it, but mm-hmm. I think naturally we lean into it because there is so much of like the foundational cracks that you learn mm-hmm. through these breakdowns of like, you know, what the environment looked like that led up to this, you know, very heavy emotional experience and what that could have meant to the body of, um, you know, what miscues they might have been given. and. Usually the meltdown doesn't look like this, but because they just came from a doctor's appointment and then drove and were stuck in traffic mm-hmm. and then got to school and had this meltdown, we could be thinking through some of those um, physical things that could have been giving those miscues from the body mm-hmm. that leads into why they're in the place emotionally that they were. Exactly. And and I think I think some of the reason why we can lean into it so much in our work is that, you know, sitting in and working through those meltdowns or mm-hmm. any or, or any moments of extreme dysregulation is so important to the work from an emotional standpoint because mm-hmm. getting through that and coming out on the other side is so meaningful for that therapeutic relationship and moving forward in all right. of our work. Totally. So we kind of got there because the first idea was let's go to meltdowns because it's something we lean into, something that parents always are saying, oh my God, this is so hard because it is so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But the OT team did like a super foundational conversation on Monday about just vestibular processing, proprioception, and tactile. So like basic, basic foundations of sensory integrative work. And from there, Can can you kind of do like as quick just for parents listening, yeah. the, a quick snapshot of what those three things are. Right. So um, so how about if a quick quiz, what are the, your, the senses of your body? Five senses. That <laughs> made me very anxious. I was like, <laughs> I don't like being quizzed. Um, touch, taste, smell, sight, and what am I missing? So, so see somebody? I guess. Hearing? What's that? Is it moving something? Yeah. Hearing? Oh, listening. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is movement a sense? Movement a sense? What am I missing? What am I missing? (laughs) Absolutely it is. So so, um, the the foundations that we always know are those five senses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There also is your hidden sense of the vestibular system, which is um, the first sense. That's, I think, where we should really dive into um, because that is going to be a really big place of where – we're processing so much emotion, uh, so much um, our sensory input starts with our vestibular system. Um, and then there's their proprioceptive system, which is essentially when you close your eyes, you can feel uh, where your body is in space. So you have an unconscious idea, like right now my legs are crossed, so I know one knee is on top of the other. That's our proprioceptive system telling you where your body is. Um, so you've got your eyes, you're seeing, you're recording exactly what you're seeing, you got your ears, you're hearing, you're smelling, you're tasting, you're touching. Um, the the piece that's really important is how all of these integrate together, right? The organization, every single minute we're taking in sensory components. There's never a moment in our life where we're not detecting sensory inputs. Um, what happens in the brain or in a, a space where sensory integration can be um, challenged is when either too much of that sensation um, comes into your body, you don't know where to do with it within your brain, neuronally, it's not quite sure where to go, or you're not getting enough, you're not picking up enough of the sensations. Um, and so 
The first step is detecting the sensation. The second step is then figuring out what to do. All of this information comes in and then your body has to then say, okay, now what do I do with it? So um, you can have too much of it come in and then, um, so that could be when you walk into Target and there's all kinds of sounds coming in. There's um, all kinds of people that you're looking. You have to kind of detect how do you move through uh, this, this wave of, of people. You have to find a cart. You have to go and get the cart. And so not only are you detecting information, but then you're also having a response. You're figuring out how do I exist in this, in this heavy land. So for sensory integration challenges, if you are overloaded by visual input, you might take all this information in and then get paused or get stuck and not quite sure what to do. So then how do you get your cart? How do you go to, to, and figure out what to buy in Target? What, what do you do in those experiences? And that's where Hannah and I's work kind of comes hand in hand because what emotions are happening inside your body when you walk into the space that's overwhelming, that's too much, and then you get stuck. And then a behavior responds because we're constantly living a life of behaviors. We're living a life of actions. And so what kind of emotions mm -hmm. are affecting those behaviors and actions? And then how are those expressed? Yeah. So this is me processing it as an adult. So that when that happens as an adult and you might be overwhelmed with something, you might get grumpy or, <laughs> or you snappy. Might get, yeah, or you might get anxious or anxious, you might shut or, down. Yeah. Or, you and know. in a kid, oftentimes that results in what might look like a, a complete meltdown or mm -hmm. whatever because yeah. it's mm -hmm. their And again, their depends on the, the specific profile child. of the kid. And it's the same with an adult. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. Adults will react different ways too based mm -hmm. on their profile and based on yeah. what their strengths are mm -hmm. and what their weaknesses are. And, and parents also might intentionally avoid these spaces because they are too hard. Like, Target's really hard. As mm -hmm. soon as we go in, it's, it's so overwhelming. Like, I'm going to avoid that. I'm not going to go back in. Mm -hmm. But then what does that mean when you go back to a place that is Target-esque? Because you've skipped going to Target again, but then you walk into this, into uh, Mariano's, and it's very Target-esque. And now all those past emotions of mm -hmm. um, experiences that might have been too hard or overwhelming come back up to the mm -hmm. surface. Mm -hmm. Or adults have the problem-solving skills to then say, okay, well, now I'm not going to go to Target at rush hour anymore. I'm just going to only go to Target when I have free time at noon on a Tuesday because I know that then all of that extra input is going to be eliminated and my experience will be different. Where many of our kids don't have that robust problem solving yeah. um, ability yet and so or the choice isn't theirs and then again the control is taken away yeah. and they get put into these experiences without being able to decide whether or not they want to be in them right. and I think it's also really important to think too about even as we have those experiences and we do develop these problem solving skills we get to know our kids better our kids get to know themselves better and they're able to figure out how to navigate some of these situations, the more that they progress and develop, the more experiences they're going to have and be able to take in in different ways, which are going to bring on new things to be anxious about or scared mm -hmm. about or, mm -hmm. or worried about. And so, you know, we may be feeling like, oh, we're feeling good, we're in the clear, we haven't really had a lot of meltdowns anymore, we've figured this out, and then something new happens that is a new experience and then we see it happen all over again mm -hmm. and so um, one of the examples I like to give for that is you know kids as they develop they're you know they're walking down the street they're with their family they're looking at all the people passing and it doesn't affect them they don't think anything about it they're not nervous about it they're not anxious about it but as soon as they start to realize these people are strangers 
I don't recognize these people. Mm -hmm. What does a stranger mean to me? Now, all of a sudden, these people I'm passing on the street have a totally new meaning. And now there's something to be worried or anxious about. Um, And so every time, and that happens with adults too, every time that you realize that there's something new to be worried about, you figure out how to navigate that and deal with that yourself. Um, And again, you know, we may have more robust problem solving skills and different coping skills to be able to navigate that both, you know, cognitively and emotionally. Mm -hmm. But um, that's something to really just kind of reflect on and think of as we're kind of progressing and, um, you know, working up that ladder. Totally. Back to the the vestibular system, Mm -hmm. um, that original sense of movement. I think we've been chatting through like this big picture idea of taking all these senses in and then having a response to it. But it might be helpful to break down just kind of that one system because um, there's a ton in there. And like I said, it's the first system that actually that, you know, babies start detecting like in pregnancy because I bet you and I could like chat through a lot of just some very small dysfunctions. And probably as we talk, like, probably all of us will find some place that like, oh yeah, that's a little off for us because no human has the perfectly developed mm-hmm. sensory system. Mm-hmm. And vestibular system is just so vast that we could talk through just some points of that system and then see how that interrelates with emotions that could be experienced or not experienced. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, so one of the things that is really key that probably a lot of parents who are in the therapy world have heard is the modulation the word modulation Mm -hmm. so essentially it's figuring out um you know how much and we're talking movement so how much of a mover your kid is so if he's fast 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 or she or if it's not much of a mover um he takes avoids swings on the playground it's going to be a child that more walks around the peripheral of the playground is not climbing is is kind of finding its own path finding a sandbox sort of thing or the child that walks onto a playground is like give me all the swings all the slides all the climbing can't ever get enough so it's it's modulation as essentially the concept of too much or too little and it's not that um even space and so uh but our bodies are always seeking harmony seeking an even space so so if there is a sensory uh integration dysfunction around modulation that's going to mean that if the child is naturally a mover it's going to go 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 which means our natural harmony it's going to be above the natural harmony so as it's seeking and playing and crashing and playing and so much that's going to be way too much for our body and it's going to get all disorganized inside Um, or if it's too little, then it's going to not be doing much at all, so nothing actually be activated. And so our movement system kind of won't be up, won't be organized, won't be in a grounded space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that could mean a lot within how we approach activities, how we approach emotional um, spaces, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. uh, if you're only seeking more and more and more, you're probably missing a ton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing much at all, then you're not going to take much in at all. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what does that mean for what you gain from the experience? What mm-hmm. does that mean for the relationships you're interacting with within that experience? How do you strengthen those relationships when that is your reality in mm-hmm. those moments? Looking at that from a parent perspective or from just interaction with children, what is that? What like what does that look like when you're taking your kid to the park one-on-one as like not with a therapist necessarily? So you right. see mm-hmm. that they are mm-hmm. the kid that is avoiding the movement or avoiding that or they're the kid that you're fighting to get off the play off the play equipment to go home now or what what does that look like in that next step 
Right. Well, it's, it's really tricky, mm-hmm. right? Because um, I would say that what you're always looking for is that optimal level of arousal, if you will, that optimal level of not too much and not too little. And it's really hard because um, I think naturally, not even as children who have a sensory integration dysfunction, but uh, naturally as humans, like we... Uh, go to amusement parks for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a drive that we all have to like have a great time with these big intense uh, spaces of movement, of fun, of excitement, of adrenaline. Like I think that's such a beautiful thing and something we want to encourage because how great that the child knows what they want. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be a fun time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to. So if you're walking into the playground, and you know, like this is going to be. Um, a beautiful moment for him, but probably bedtime is going to be terrible. Probably the walk back is going to be so hard because the body is just not in an organized space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also might make peer engagement on the playground. If mm-hmm. the child is way up high, not modulated, then maybe there might be aggression on the playground. Maybe mm-hmm. there might be, um, you know, trying to get some kid's attention. So so being really mindful of, you know, your child's idea of, of what how much time they can have, you know? Like probably saying we're going to spend all Saturday afternoon at the park not the, not the best idea, you know, you want to maybe um, also bookend it with some really nice, um, calm concepts, like maybe a walk there is going to be um, really nice because, or riding your bike there, because uh, bike riding is going to be a really nice sense of heavy work, of proprioception, and it's, it's grounding. So you're riding the bike there intentionally, not driving, because you're going to get some of that sensory outlet out as you go to this environment that you know is going to be overwhelming and then you have a nice coming ride back or walk back because you're going to be uh, intentionally giving the body what it needs and proprioception is uh, heavy work so push pulling um, carrying heavy things that's going to be the perfect kind of grounding force for too much vestibular so if there's too much vestibular then you want to ground it with proprioception great make the kids carry all the stuff home carry all the stuff <laughs> home yeah um yeah and i think also too just thinking about the why why are we going to the park for from both the parents perspective and from the child's perspective what are you both looking to gain from this experience and then thinking a little bit and pre-planning a little bit about how you want your visit to look yeah and so maybe on that bike ride um, you're you're having a discussion with your kid about what you're going to do. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get there? What's the second thing you're going to do when you get there? Mm-hmm. And kind of plan out your visit a little bit. Um, and, you know, if sometimes visuals could be supportive with that too, if that's something that you want to use as you're having that, you know, back and forth on the way there, or maybe it, you can't, maybe you are driving and you can't do that while you're driving. Sure. So you yeah. do that on, you, know, you do that at home or you do that right when you get to the park before you kind of, you know, get on all the equipment and get going. But um, some of that pre-planning and previewing can yeah. also really help to organize and provide some structure um, that can really be organizing for the child. And you know, as a parent, you have a, usually, you know, a fairly gut feeling of if your child's in a good place or not regulation wise and it might be appropriate to talk through like hey last time when I said we had to leave it was really really hard Mm -hmm. you know you got mad you ran away from me that sort of thing like what are we going to do to make this experience better because you cannot do you know Mm -hmm. you can't run away from me that's not safe at the park so um you know if there's already dysregulation that might be a really hard conversation but if it's a regulated space to be able to talk through those things that are already might have been challenging or tricky. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also okay to remember and reflect as a parent that sometimes, especially in these public spaces, anticipating um, meltdowns and extreme dysregulation in, in public can be really overwhelming as a parent as well. And so if you are kind of looking at your day and assessing where you are and you feel like, you know, 
today isn't the day. It's okay to work through that at home and not have to put yourself in that position and go to the park and push through. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, take take the lead there and um, work through that, you know, in the privacy of your home. Totally. That being said, you know, it's also is important to work through some of those things you know, in those environments, because really the goal area is different when you're looking at, you know, meltdowns from those different perspectives. So that's something you really need to reflect on and in that moment, but feeling confident in whatever decision that you make. And if it feels better to do it in one place over the other, then that is okay. And that is your decision as a parent. Totally. So on the flip side of this too much is the, is I think another really important thing that kind of can be overlooked is the too little, the not um, not seeking movement, being more the kids that walk around on the peripheral because it's so much easier to see the loud, fast, um, you know, go, 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 go. Uh, the sweet, caring, sitting in the sandbox, having like a wonderful time, but just not going on those swings and slides just isn't as in your face of, oh, I need to really be approaching this with um, care and calm and concern and making sure that my child is feeling okay because that could be the other side that movement experiences are really scary. Um, For my work as an OT, like when I'm seeing kids that are only wanting to swing with their feet on the ground, so their their feet are never coming off of the ground, or they're they're on the swing and they're exploring, but if I go to push them, they're like out of there as quickly as they can. They won't let me push them. Those are sending a lot of signals um, into my brain of what is it that's scary? What is it about me pushing the swing that is making them think? no way, no way, no way. And that's because I think that's that idea of even a little bit. So back to that state of, we want that state of harmony, that state of kind of like optimal modulation, Mm -hmm. even just a little bit of movement could actually swing into the feeling of way too much roller coaster ride adrenaline. And Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a ton of avoidance then, because why would you want to put yourself just from this small amount of movement into this state of adrenaline pumping, heart racing? Where did this movement just come from? Mm -hmm. An example that I read was uh, an idea of you know, here we are at the Grand Canyon and um, we're, we're looking at this beautiful, vast space and then a big tour guide comes uh, comes towards us and we get jostled kind of towards the canyon a little bit. And what does that mean? Like, that's just a tiny little bit of movement, but our whole heart starts racing because it, it kind of pushed us for, towards this canyon. That example goes into a child that might be feeling the same sort of thing with just a small touch of movement on the swing. It's like this big giant state of oh my god oh my god what's happening what's happening what what's going on and, and the, it takes a minute to organize um just the sense of movement which is mm-hmm. could be really really scary world yes mm-hmm. very scary world and i think that that's also something too uh, one of those spots where you really can lean on your therapist for extra support too because you know kind of as you mentioned earlier makaya when we're kind of thinking about all of our own profiles there is also um a difference and sometimes it can be hard to assess and figure out this difference between you know avoidance and just preferences yeah and there are kids who just like to be in the sandbox more right. totally. and who you know might want to just play house when they're on the playground right and you know really trying to navigate what exactly that means for your child you know what's okay where do we push how much what should we be doing and those are those moments where you can really lean on your therapist to kind of see and figure out again that why why are they choosing these and then deciding you know when and where to push yeah yeah 
And it may not be on a playground with a lot of other kids around mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm talking about the movement system, but I'm avoiding the eyes and the ear system. And so movement system may not be the overwhelming drive of why a child is walking around the peripheral of a playground. It could be because they look at the playground and there's kids running everywhere and where do I go? And mm-hmm. so it could be a visual overload or they could come into a playground and there's so many sounds and there's, you know, kids that are playing chase and screaming and happily and that's just a, a too much sound and so let me find a quieter spot and the quieter spot is this lovely little sand castle area like mm-hmm. the, it doesn't mean that you know we're there they hate swings but it could mean that something in the space mm-hmm. is too much or it just could mean that they're having a great time mm-hmm. playing so it, it's it's again like that complex space of you know which thing could be too much or which thing could just be the wonderful moment of the day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it also could be, you know, based on familiarity. Maybe yeah. they go to the park and they look at all the different games that are happening on the park. And, oh, man, that chase game over there, I don't really know what the rules of that game are. And that game over there, like, I'm not even sure what they're playing. But over in the sandbox, oh, yeah, like, I know how to make sandcastles. I've made sandcastles tons of times. So that feels really comfortable and comforting. And so they access those activities just because they're not – maybe they – love movement Mm -hmm. but maybe they don't understand the game so entering and initiating that game feels really really hard Mm -hmm. um and and picking up on those peer cues and figuring out you know how to navigate those situations and so then again leaning on your therapist to kind of figure out what is causing them to avoid what is causing them to choose these activities over other activities and then there are different strategies that we can use to support them in those moments you know sometimes it may not be about movement and it may just be here, let me go fig- help figure out what these rules are and let me let me tell you what's going on in this game and giving right. you an idea about how to enter it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's, again, very dependent on the profile of the child. But totally. there are just so many different reasons why avoidance might be happening and preferences right. might be happening. But every child has an innate desire in them to develop their sensory system. Like, innately as humans we don't want to live in a chaotic space right that's i think what is one of the most beautiful things about my job that what i get to experience is like children naturally desire to make their world more organized to make their world more calm and so sometimes it takes you know just a specific eye uh, taking a peek at this and seeing how we can support that child to problem solve efficiently um, to make their world feel more calm and peaceful in that state of of optimal harmony because Kids desire that. Kids want to get there. The natural innate space is already in them, so we just have to find the right buttons to keep that moving. Mm -hmm. And I think the same can go for relationships as well. Right. You know, all kids want to access and build positive relationships with both adults and peers. Um, Sometimes they just don't know exactly how to navigate that or they haven't had the experience navigating that before, and so we really have to help give them the tools to be able to build those strong relationships so that they can feel safe and secure within mm-hmm. them. And sometimes that's tricky because sometimes it seems like kids don't want to. Sometimes their right. avoidance behaviors or sometimes their aggressive behaviors make mm-hmm. it seem like they might even want the opposite. But really figuring out how to read you know, our individual child's cues right. to figure out exactly what the motivation is of that behavior. Um, because more often than not, the desire to build those relationships is there. They're just really struggling at how to navigate that. Totally. Like, I feel like there's a lot of foundations to process. And I think it, it's mm-hmm. tricky because every kid is so... Well, that's... that's so... And that's different. different. Yeah. And that's the struggle that we had, kind right. of thinking about where to go with 
the aggression piece because it is so individualized and it is so specific to each child and so thinking about what would be the most helpful Mm -hmm. you know is it maybe just thinking about a perspective shift like here are some different things to think about that just might make you view your child in a different way because now you have these different examples and ideas about what could possibly be going on with your kid rather than maybe what you've been you know, maybe even kind of emotionally beat down thinking about what is actually going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. If it's, if you're, if you have a child who's, you know, their response is extreme dysregulation or aggression in all of those examples that we just gave, mm-hmm. then you really get beat down, you know, in, in regards to having those experiences more and to relating to your child in those moments. Mm-hmm. And then also it's, it's hard to, um, navigate and figure out and come back to what is the child's true intention right. in those moments, right. you know, because it feels so personal. It feels so emotional mm-hmm. as a parent right. and as, or as anybody working with a child, but especially as a parent. Totally. And so y- your perspective gets all skewed mm-hmm. about what is going on in this moment. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, because it, it's a two way street, you know, yeah. but just kind of thinking about some of these examples and some of these moments in a different way can just kind of help you to self-reflect and be like, okay, maybe it is something else that's going on here. How can I look at this differently? Maybe it's not the right way. Maybe I do need to lean on my therapist for support to navigate that, but maybe it is something different after all. Right. You know? Totally. And I think that was a lot of the things when you guys were speaking I was applying it to, and I'm not a parent, but applying it to kids in my life mm-hmm. being like, okay, this child does, reacts this way to these things, or like my niece can throw a tantrum, like I, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the best of them. So I was like going through and processing the things that that, when that has happened, when mm-hmm. those meltdowns have occurred, like what were the like situations that were leading up All to right, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, applying it to each child in your life and listening to the different things that you guys have been saying have been really interesting to be like, okay, how can I put the puzzle pieces together? Mm-hmm. And it's so hard from a non-professional perspective. So it's right. really nice mm-hmm. to hear, to like, because those things don't always come immediately snapping to your head to be like, wait right. a minute, what were the what were the series of the day leading up to that? Or Also, in da- real daily life, you don't have the time to do that. Right. You know, that's what the therapeutic space is for. Right. Is we can, that's what we're thinking about and leaning into and right. really observing closely yeah. um, for. But in, you know, daily life, you're on the move. Things happen unexpectedly. There's a lot of different people that you have to worry about in the moment. It's not all focused on that one child all the mm-hmm. time. It can't be. Right. And it's hard because a lot of families, I think, adapt their lives to make it about that child right. all the time. And that's that's not fair. That doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. That's not emotionally, um, you know, enriching for the whole family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a totally different experience than being in the therapeutic environment. Right. And some of the mystery, too, is it's all an internal process. So even, you know, us who are having the therapeutic eye may have no clue what mm-hmm. happened that was too much. Mm-hmm. We just have to step into the present of mm-hmm. how do we re-regulate that child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it would be nice to think like, oh, okay, I can totally think back. I can 
pull out what was too much, what was too little, what was too loud, what was, you know, too much something. And it, it, we, it's all an internal neuronal process. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that we can always be a detective and figure out, mm-hmm. but we, we can hopefully give parents the tools of how can we support regulation? How can we teach your ch- you about your child's individual profile mm-hmm. of what is a regulating sensory sense? You know, does your child need to be in a quieter space or does he need to be, um, you know, kind of, you have to get, um, be right present with him or does he need you to not talk for a minute? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's such a mysterious process because it's nothing that's external except for the behaviors. Mm-hmm. The internal space um, is a mystery to us. And that part in itself feels so hard because Mm -hmm. the mystery is unknown Mm -hmm. and that provides, I mean, that mystery might be what's providing the child with anxiety in the first place and leading to a meltdown, but then also that mystery as a parent who just wants to help your child to feel better and not being able to figure that out can provide a lot of emotions and anxiety for a parent as well. And so then how to navigate that within the relationship and, you know, strengthen the relationship rather than feeling like, you know, you're having an unsuccessful time working through something that doesn't feel good to anybody. Right. Um, and that that's, you know, so emotionally, every piece of that is so emotionally so laced yeah. that it's impossible to separate. And so, you know, supporting parents to feel okay, as okay as they can with right. that unknown and with that mystery and providing them with those tools so that they can feel confident in those moments to at least just try things. Because... That's, you know, that's something that maybe parents don't always know is that yeah. often that's what we're doing too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are also living in that space of mystery. Mm-hmm. We are just pulling on the, pulling out those tools and trying different things right. to support that regulation in that moment mm-hmm. because, you know, we we all have to sit in those unknowns right. and it's it's hard. It's really hard. It's mm-hmm. hard and a lot of the time it's just, you know, everybody working together to figure it out as mm-hmm. a team. Right. Right, totally. And I thought it was really interesting you guys chatted, touched on at the beginning, um, like the target and the the avoidance piece, because I think mm-hmm. that that's something that in my little experience with children that I've been like, ooh, we're just going to skip that. And I think that happens really easily. Sometimes but you just going to know, in, you know, what is, what's the good place to avoid or not avoid. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, but, and or knowing push. how to, yeah. how to yeah. do that differently or right. like okay we can test this out and I it made me think of like learning how to drive mm-hmm. for me my mm-hmm. mom teaching me how to drive downtown in downtown mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. we learned how to drive downtown <laughs> Chicago on Sunday morning at 6 a.m it was like wake up Whoa. this is how you're gonna learn the streets but like <laughs> it was her avoiding target at rush hour mm-hmm. and teaching mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. the same thing mm-hmm. so that was what kind of clicked in my head as far as okay how can mm-hmm. I lean into like a hard space sure. in a safe way mm-hmm. yeah 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 Mm-hmm. That's great. And yeah, there's example. And the, it's that's one of the things that is so nice to do too is think about how these different experiences apply to yourself and putting yourself emotionally in in those positions mm-hmm. because it really creates a lot of empathy for these experiences for for not just, you know, working with our kids who have sensory processing challenges, but just for all your relationships and everybody you're interacting with. Right. You know, I mean, that that made me think of an example where when I was first, my dad went to go teach me to pump gas. And my dad's uh, approach was, here, let's go to the gas station. I've literally never, I've you know, I've sat in the car every time my parents pumped gas my whole life. I've never, ever tried it. I've never looked at it. I've never, <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to do. And my dad's uh, uh, approach was, 
get out and figure it out. He didn't show me anything. He didn't teach me anything. And I, you know, I'm just get out of the car. I'm like feeling really overwhelmed because like all these other people are just like around me knowing what they are doing. And it's such like, of course, now it sounds like such a benign, stupid task. But that's, you know, what we live in and what we're learning all all the time. And especially what our kids are learning. You know, they're learning small, what to us seem like nothing tasks all the time. And I stood there and I was like so overwhelmed. I got so anxious. I was so mad at my dad, <laughs> you know? And I was just, I, I think I eventually just refused. I just said, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go do it with mom. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing this. Like, I, you're not helping me. This doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my dad and I have a great relationship. But I think that's a big, <laughs> a big testament, too, to a relationship-based model. Yeah. That, you know, if I, in that moment, have felt, had felt, like, super connected mm-hmm. to... Uh-huh going through this experience with someone who really wanted to teach me how to do it. And again, not knocking my dad, but, you know, <laughs> it was a different style right. and really feeling like, you know, he wasn't understanding that in, my, in that moment, my profile wasn't suited to that approach. Totally. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that with our kids when they're learning, you know, learning a new skill in a new environment, you know, meeting a new, new peer and how to navigate that, that there really might need to be let's some scaffolding. There ni- might need to be some previewing. There might need yeah. to be some, we'll do this together. We'll get through this together mm-hmm. because that feels so more, so much more emotionally supported. And for our kids who live in a world of not feeling that all the time in every single setting that they're in, mm-hmm. it, that extra relationship, relationship piece feels so good and grounding. Mm-hmm. I love that example so much. That was so good. Because that's like the power of relationships. Because you mm-hmm. described like such a beautiful physical experience too, right? You're visually taking something and you have to make a motor plan of what to do. You're problem mm-hmm. solving, executive functioning. Mm-hmm. And relationships have the power to create safety. Mm-hmm. Like relationships have the power. We're talking about these bodies that are going to feel unsafe. Like if your mm-hmm. movement isn't, isn't totally on board, you're going to feel unsafe in these spaces. Mm-hmm. But relationships have the power to usurp that a little bit and to create safety, which is such a beautiful thing, the mm-hmm. power of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it so much. Great example. <laughs> Thanks. Again, I love my dad. <laughs> but, but that was hard, you know, and that approach, that's also kind of brings us back to that, to the individual profile piece. Mm-hmm. If he would have done that same thing with my brother, my brother probably wouldn't have, I mean, he might have, and my right. bro- brother probably wouldn't have cared at all mm-hmm. and probably maybe would have appreciated not having his dad lay out every single piece of how to pump gas for him. Mm-hmm. And he might have rather stood there and like, figured it out. And that's, you know, I think I would have liked it. I yeah. think I would have been like, all right, <laughs> uh-huh. here I am. But we have different profiles. Totally. Exactly. For me, it was like, uh-uh, like this feels so bad. I'm, I'm anxious. Get me yeah. back in the car. Mm-hmm. It also is a really good picture too of parents may not do the perfect thing for your child every day. Mm-hmm. And you have the next day to, to and you reset. And it's okay. And, and it's okay. <laughs> totally and you okay. still have great relationships with your parents. 100% okay. You know? 100% things will be repaired very easily, comfortably. Mm-hmm. You'll keep, you'll, everyone will keep on learning about each other. And that's, again, because that relationship foundation is built. Power, you know, power, power. In that moment, was my dad leaning on the our relationship? Maybe not yeah. so much in that one small moment. But the reason why it was okay was because we do have a great relationship. Right. And I felt okay, you know, 
getting mad at him for a little bit and then two hours later everything was fine and I processed with him about why that didn't feel good and don't do it again right you know and then you went into therapy <laughs> you became a social worker yes exactly so that, that exact moment drove me to become a social worker no don't worry dad <laughs> but what a good picture of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of, there's no way that we'll be able to understand what our kid needs every mm-hmm, single moment mm-hmm. but and different approaches are work for different situations and different relationships. And we all know that different relationships serve us in different environments and different situations. You know, there are moments that I go to this one friend when I know that I'm having this type of problem. There's moments when I go, you know, to this family member when I need to seek out this type of information, Mm -hmm. you know, and we learn how to navigate that and utilize those relationships to our benefit to make ourselves feel safe, secure, and supported. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we also really need to communicate to Mm -hmm. our kids. Right. Is letting them know that those relationships are there. Those relationships are there for them to access. Here's how to access them. Right. And Mm -hmm. if they don't have the skills to access them yet, then we just need to be there to support that until, until they know how to do that. That wraps up the beginning of our discussion on meltdowns and aggression. We'll be continuing the conversation in a series about this topic. If you have specific questions that you would like answered or to hear about on Listening In on Leap in regards to meltdown and aggressions, please email ashley at leapforward.com. Leap Forward is a pediatric developmental clinic and therapeutic preschool and transitional kindergarten operating in Chicago with experts in occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, social work, developmental therapy, and early intervention. To speak with the professionals you heard today or talk to someone at Leap about your child, you can find us at leapforward.com. That's L-E-E-P forward.com.